Welcome to the Storycraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. Storycraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Welcome to the Storycraft Cafe podcast. We have been doing so many live author interviews over on YouTube. And by the way, you can find out all about all our upcoming events if you're over at storycraft.cafe. But we've had so many live author events that we're going to do some bonus podcast episodes. So today we have author Laura Beers, and she talks all about her journey to becoming an author and finding her niche and writing the kinds of books that she loves as a reader, but then also found that she loves as a creator. And what a great story. We talk all about her process and how she got started. Join us over at storycraft.cafe to stay abreast of all our upcoming events. Subscribe to us over on our YouTube channel. Like and subscribe and Thank you for subscribing in your favorite podcast app. Thank you, as always, to Dabble for making this possible. If you're looking for an app to help you be a better writer and to take your thoughts and turn them into stories, DabbleWriter.com. Now on to our show. And we are live here in the Storycraft Cafe today. Uh, I am your host, Hank Garner, as always. And today I am super excited to have Laura Beers with us to talk all about writing Regency romance and her journey from uh, the construction business Mm -hmm. to writing Regency romance, which is totally a predictable story arc i don't i don't even know how you could make that up um but laura is the she's a brand new author she's just breaking in she only has 61 items on her amazon author page uh she was correcting me just a minute ago looks like 48 or so published works and then uh some of these are collections or various other uh publishing wonders on amazon but uh I have uh, grabbed a number of your stories uh, on Amazon, Laura. Uh, you have most of them, if not all. You can correct me on this in Kindle Unlimited, which is an amazing thing for readers yes. and for people that do work like I do, where you want to sample from uh, an author's massive catalog like you have. And I love them. They're, they're such a fun experience to read. I know other readers will love these as well. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. I'm super excited to have you. Uh, Laura, we like to start uh, conversations with a fun question sometimes. And uh, one of those questions is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? So when I was younger, I remember I sat in front of the computer and I decided when I was about third grade that I wanted to be a writer. And so I wrote a story that was in my head and it was terrible. It was really bad. But my mom read it and she's like, well, maybe you'd be good at other things. And so um, I kind of took that as a hint and which was fine. I then life happened and um, I started getting like B's in English and I thought maybe I can't be a writer. So 
Well, that that's hilarious because um, I, I've I've done fifteen hundred or so of these author interviews, and the the backstories of authors is one of my favorite things. And you know, there uh, some people got nothing but encouragement from early on, and you know you it's no wonder they turned out to be uh, authors because, you know, they just constantly had that fed. And and then other people just seem to have the gene and uh, you know, maybe you have to work at it for a while. I mean, we all have to work at it to to own our craft, but it's, it's just not as evident early on to some folks that is as it is to others. So what, uh, what fueled that drive to keep going at it, even, you know, when you had chosen a different career path. And so I guess what my question is, is what brought you back around to writing? So I, um, grew up, went on majored in construction management and started working in the construction field, put my husband through school. And then I decided um, to stay at home with my kids and my kids did not allow me to read because they were just rambunctious. And you have five kids. I totally understand that. You are very brave. I only have three. So <laughs> Um, and so finally, when they got a little older, um, I started watching TV shows like CSI and stuff that I'm like, I can't really have these on with my kids here because they're a little too serious. And so I started reading and I started reading Regency romance because that's what I loved. And I started reading one book and it was about a female spy. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And so I was reading it and it was terrible. Like Mm. it was absolutely a terrible book. And I remember chucking it across the room after I read the last page. And I thought I could do better than this. And that's when my mom said, why don't you? And so I, um, I started writing after that and it was a terrible, uh, once again, attempt, but I had a friend who majored in English literature and she kind of helped me get through the different steps. Nice. Um, so first off, the, the first question I have, why construction management? What, what was it about that job that, that you gravitated toward? So when I went to school, um, I came from a long line of teachers. Okay. And my mom was a teacher. My grandmas were the teachers. Sisters were teachers. And I knew I would be a terrible teacher. And so my uncle actually owned a construction company in Prescott, Arizona. And he said, why don't you do construction management? And my other cousin, who's also um, a girl cousin, she's like, I'll do it with you. And so we said, why not? And I went into it. And I didn't even know what drywall was. I mean, I knew in theory what drywall was, but, you know, I didn't really know anything. You've never built a house before. Never built a house. (laughs) I've never been on a construction site. And um, one of the professors actually told me, you know, you might not make a good fit in construction management. You don't know anything. And, And I remember leaving thinking, he's wrong. I can do this. And that's when I started studying more and putting my head down and I graduated and top of my class and I really enjoyed it. Wow. So did you work in the industry? I did. I worked for um, a large um, general construction contractor in San Diego. So we built one of the facilities we built was Johnson and Johnson 
in La Jolla. Oh, wow. And so that was the job that I was on for five years. And Johnson & Johnson is a great company. And they were very proud that they hired female engineers on the job site. What's that? So I was taken, I was shown off on their yacht and all these things. And it was fantastic. But I started realizing staying out until 1130 at night and then having to get up at 6 a.m. to be on the construction site wasn't fun. So, Well, um, one thing that I love to ask people is um, and and I'll I'll tell you why this uh, is such a fun question for me. There's something about writers that um, there, let me say it this way. There are very few writers that I have interviewed that knew from the very earliest of their recollections all the way through that they were going to be writers and that this was their only pursuit and, and just, you know, head down straight into the, to the writing life. Most people, um, know that they want to be a writer, but they kind of take a circuitous route and they, you know, meander through life and they pick up some experiences here and meet people here. And all of these life experiences and relationships that are formed have a way of feeding into the creative spirit. Um, so what did you pick up from your, uh, time studying and working in construction that you, maybe it seems very unlikely, but maybe there's something in your writer toolkit that you picked up along the way from this. So I had an editor early on who told me I was too specific on the construction. <laughs> Whenever too specific, okay. Too specific. So like when a spy was trying to get into the the glass, you know, you had to scrape off all the caulking and everything. She's like, readers don't care about that. That's too specific. So sometimes I actually had to kind of dumb down my construction experience a little. But I think ultimately what it taught me was that um because I, I had someone who said I couldn't do it and I proved him wrong. I, I think in my books, the same thing is I had other people who said, you can't write books and I proved them wrong. So it's, I think that's ultimately what I learned is not giving up. And there's something about that specificity. Um, I, I've talked to writers who gather seems like reams and reams of of information about their characters and they go through all of this um, work to understand their world, their characters, their plot. And then they'll use a small portion of that in the actual writing. But there's something about that world building that stays in the writer's head. And because you understand that, then now you can explain that to the reader. Uh, is it is it kind of like that where you didn't need to necessarily put it on the page, but you understanding the the complexities of it help you to tell that story? Yes, very much so. And I would say there are plotters and there are pantsers. Right. And I am a pantser. I, I go in with a general idea of what I want to write. Obviously, when you're writing a series, you have to have it outlined somewhat. Sure. But I go in with a basic idea of what I want, what the character is like, and then I let them tell the story. So um, 
like you said, in the series, you kind of need to know where you're going. Um, but do you begin each book with, um, you know, maybe there's a final destination and you know where that is. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, you know, I, I, I like to liken it to a, a road trip across country. Yeah. You know, if you're going from San Diego to New York, um, you know where you're going to wind up, but you could take I-20 and, you know, kind of go the the, the southern end uh, or, you know, you could take, uh, you know, Route 66 and kind of wander through that way. There's a lot of different ways you could right. go. D- do you kind of liken it like that? Like, I know where I'm ultimately going, but the the characters and I are going to go on a trip together. Very much so. And sometimes the characters surprise me. I know that sounds weird in, in my head where all of a sudden I'll be writing something and one of them says something, even though I'm writing it, I think that's ingenious. Like, and yeah. so um, just recently in the last book, I decided who the bad guy was going to be. And it was all worked out. Everything was good. And then I thought, no, no. I think I'm going to swap that up. And so, um, but it wasn't until I was halfway through the book that it, and it surprised me that I was going to swap it up. So it's kind of, it's a fun, a fun adventure when you start writing a book. It's a little nerve wracking when you first start. And then by the end, you're like, this is, this is enjoyable. So that first book that you wrote, um, let's, let's go back there and, and visit this from, from, reading this Regency romance and it was not up to par. You can do better than that. Your mom encourages you. Well, Laura, go do it. What then? So I, I've always had stories in my head and it surprises me that people don't have stories in their heads. And right. so it's because I'm like, like what do, do, you do you not play with the people that live in your yes. head? Like I do. Exactly. It's like, what do you think about when you lay down to bed? You know, right. you don't think of these stories. And so um, I started writing this story and I did a lot of hikes where I would go on and I start thinking about what I wanted to write and take naps. Cause that's where I kind of play through the situation. Um, but it, it was difficult because I never had an experience of writing a book. My only experience that I had, it was a reader. And so I obviously knew about the Regency time period because for the people that aren't familiar, the Regency time period is between 1811 and 1822, around that time period. And it's in England. So Jane Austen wrote during that time period. Right. And so, well, Jane Austen was alive during that time period. So, of course, she wrote during that time period. But um, so there's very different uh, specific terminology that you have to use. So I had that down and titles and stuff. But I didn't know about the grammar stuff. So I had my friend help me. And then obviously I got to the point where I hired an editor. And then I was fortunate because the first publisher I reached out to accepted it. So I was very fortunate on that. Wow. So um, so the, the, the first book that you wrote is the first book that you published? Yes. Wow. That, that is a rare thing yes. indeed. Um, how, how much time between writing that first book and, and publishing? About six months. That is amazing. Yeah. That it, when you're, when you're in the thick of it, yes. you, you usually don't have time to stop and think about um, how rare this is, you know, how, <laughs> how this is not most people's experience. Did, when did you get the, uh, the presence of mind to, to think, oh, this is, this is not everybody's experience. 
Um, it wasn't until, um, cause I, I reached out and actually just to let you know, the first time I used the, the publisher is actually a vanity publisher. So I didn't gotcha. realize, I didn't realize it wasn't not normal or it wasn't normal to pay. So I paid yeah. a small sum. Um, and, but I retained the rights. And so, so he still, you still had to go through this whole criteria. One of my favorite authors was the writer for them. And that's how I found them. And um, I went and I published a series with them. And then once I discovered how, I don't want to say how little they did, because they helped me jump. They were very yeah. company, um, have nothing but praise to say about them. But I realized I could do it on my own. And that's when I started self-publishing after I started establishing a name for myself. And because I retained the rights, I was able to put them on Kindle Unlimited. Uh, what was that first series? Um, it was the, the Becca files. Saving okay. shadow was the first one gotcha. and it, it revolved around a spying family. So okay. there were female spies in there, which is actually very uncommon during the Regency time period because England thought spying was distasteful. And a lady would never spy. Of course not. Yes. But obviously we know George Washington used a whole network of female spies and they were never caught. And so um, there were, I believe there were spies. They were just not documented. Of course. What, what was it about the uh, Regency period that, uh, that you loved? So I love the thought of honorable gentlemen. And just good gentlemen. Obviously, we know from history that back in that time period, gentlemen were not always honorable. <laughs> right. But, um, I just like. But the they th- are today, thank God. Yes. And <laughs> I just like the thought of they were just good and lords and ladies, where they right. were just all kind of having fun and just just enjoying life. Gotcha. So it was just this this love of the time period. And uh, Jane Austen, uh, of course, is is kind of the touchstone that that a lot of people when you're trying to describe Regency romance for someone who's not familiar, you see old Jane Austen. You know, that's that's kind of the most uh, accessible author for the the masses. Uh, Were there other authors in this genre that that you gravitated toward? Well, once again, women did not, a respectable woman did not write. Um, obviously, there were women back in that time period who did write. But Jane Austen, when she first wrote her book, her first book, it was titled Under a Lady. So I've actually referenced Pride and Prejudice a few times in my books because it came out in 1813. And, um, and so anyways, it's just that's the person I was going for. But there's also a lot of authors nowadays that... Uh, that right Regency that I emulated very much. So there are so many good Regency authors. There really are. And it's really having a a moment right now where there's lots of stories being told in this time period and um, lots of great uh, things going on in the, in the genre. One thing that I'm always intrigued by uh, is um, the, the way that, Romance in general and Regency romance, maybe specifically, is kind of shunned by by a lot of men uh, and, you know, men that, that might read them don't admit it or, you know, they'll never admit that they, you know, 
read their books right after their wife, you know, gets done, they pass them over and, you know, uh, but there's, there's so much uh, about the society and the interpersonal relationships that are more than, and I hate to say it this way, mere romance. Um, but it, it really is a, a, a deep genre or at least has the potential to be. Do you, uh, do you have many men that, that write to you or that you hear from that love your books? So I actually have someone on my ARC team who's a, who's a man. And so he, he, he and his wife both read the books and then give their opinions on it. And, um, but that is, it's mostly women who like Regency romance, just like it's mostly women that like Jane Austen. I was, I was very saddened when my son, when I mentioned Jane Austen and he said, who is that? Is that one of your friends? I thought my heart was going to die. I'm like, Public school system and your mother have failed you. Have failed you. Yes. <laughs> Laura, you have one series that really um, caught my attention. It's uh, a time travel, um, the, the Twickingham time travel series. Um, where did that idea come from? So it's actually, that was a collaboration with other authors. And okay. we um, we all wrote kind of in this little time travels, like spectrum, the sphere, we kind of had this starting point and we worked around it. And I decided um, just to write about Regency time period because there's so many things that you could, um, there's amusement to that we find like a woman would never call on a gentleman back then. And my person, one of the person in the first book, she was a Harvard educated doctor. And why couldn't she call on a gentleman, you know? And so it was fun because she got transported back into 1813. And so they all did all this group of people. And it was just a lot of fun of kind of poking fun at the Regency time period without yeah. poking fun because I love the Regency time period. Right. Well, some of the, the most, um, admirable um fun poking if you will is from things that you love um that's where a lot of great satire comes from is because we poke fun at things that we love because if you don't love it it come, comes across as mean-spirited and nobody wants to read that right. i mean let's be honest you know and and it was like i said i really enjoyed the time travel um fortunately not a lot of readership followed because regency is a very um niche that has a lot of loyal followers and they don't like to yeah. mess change the genre very much yeah so that that first series that you published with the um we'll say vanity press because that's the word you use but you know if you found value in it and they helped you to kind of jump start your career then then we can't we can't look uh, down our nose at that. That was a, it ultimately a good experience, right? It was. And they were fantastic. Like I said, it, it basically taught me how to set myself up for self-publishing. Um, I did also um, publish another series through a traditional publisher, um, Dragon Blade, which was fantastic. Uh, sorry, ignore my daughter. She's home for, <laughs> home for lunch. Um, and so I had another good experience for them, but I just discovered that self-publishing is what I enjoy the most because I release books every two months. Gotcha. So when did you start uh, kind of realizing, well, first off, what year um, were you publishing? How long ago was this? So the first book, Saving Shadow, was published in um, September of 2017. 
Okay, 2017. So by that point, um, the Kindle had been out for six or seven years, um, meaning that Amazon's self-publishing platform, KDP, had reached maturity and uh, really lots of tools were available to authors. So when... um, how did you kind of start getting your feet wet when you're using the 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 publishing company to help you get that first series started um when you decided to take this new series that you're doing completely on your own kind of what were some of the steps that that Sorry, you followed Sorry, my husband. No. Uh, it's fine. Um so I so after the way the vanity publisher worked is I, I paid a fee and they would take it and basically format the book. So everything else, the editor I paid for the cover artist I paid for. Um, so I already had a network, a team of how to do that. Um, and so when I was done with the last book, I had started collaborating with other authors and they said, well, we do it self-publishing. We all release our own books on our own platforms. And I had one of the great things about Regency authors is they are very supportive of one another and they helped me make that step. And so after that first series I did, um, with the vanity, um, I I took off on my own after that. That's fantastic. When did you start getting feedback from readers? Like when did you start realizing that there was a readership out there and that you could tap into the, the market of readers out there? So as I tell a lot of authors that the first year I lost money, second year I lost money. And then from then on, it kind of skyrocketed. It wasn't until my third year, obviously I was getting good feedback and good reviews because it propelled me to keep going, but it wasn't until, um, I broke off on my own. And also the first series was not on Kindle unlimited. And so I love Kindle Unlimited and that's where I get most of my readership. And so um, probably after after my first series and I started on it is when I started moving forward. And now I I try not to read my reviews. I make my PA read it because they can kind of get me into a spiral. Even though I have mostly good reviews, I am very blessed as an author uh, because I have a lot of people that are very positive. There are still some readers that are very critical about almost your personality. So they attack the little things. But for the most part, the readers are have very good constructive criticism. And and for every 100 glowing positive reviews, there's that one. And for whatever reason, that one sticks in your head and, you know, can ruin your day when there's a hundred people that are just glowing over it. You know, that's just human nature, I guess. And my favorite is when I get a one star review on Goodreads and the book hasn't even been published. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> those those are my favorite because I'm yeah. like, um, I know you're not on my art team and you yeah. just love the one star review. So there are just some people. Um, they're, they're just trolls out yes, there. For, there are. You know, yeah. But for the most part, as you said, I get all these great reviews, but it's just that one that sticks with you. So I've learned not to read my reviews. 
Yeah. So um, a craft question for you, since you are admittedly a pantser and uh, you, you said that when you're starting a series, you you have an end goal in mind, yes. but maybe don't know how you're going to get there. Do you know from the beginning how many books are going to be in this particular series? So this current series, Lord and Ladies of Mayfair, that I'm getting ready to release my fourth book, I had planned on um, five books okay. and it's already up to seven because the characters, all of a sudden I have to write in a character that I'm like, you get a book and you get a book. And so um, <laughs> it's right now at seven and I have put my cover artist on watch that I might do one more. Gotcha. Um, what, what determines when, when you get to the end of one story arc, that, that's going to be a book. Um, are you already thinking about where the second book is going to go? And do you leave yourself little breadcrumbs that you could pick up the, you know, the story in the next book? How do you, I guess what I'm asking is how do you prepare for writing a series? And when you know that this particular story arc is finished and and did you leave yourself enough for a second story arc for book two, yes. book three, et cetera? So I make sure that the way I, I write, like what I read, like to read. And so I like happily ever afters. So in every end of my book, it concludes with a couple getting their own happily ever after. Um, but the side characters are the fun ones. Those are the ones you can write about. And, I put enough in there because I kind of know I have a general idea of who these people are and what their kind of what their personality traits are. So yeah. and then I've I tend to find I don't want to say the best one, but you start with a really solid character and then you kind of work up to another solid character to keep the readers interested. And so um, I have the one that I just wrote that I submitted to my editor. She's really quirky and she actually wanted to write well of course quirky is not a word in regency time period but that's how i describe her but she also wanted to write her book her own book and she didn't care if she was a spinster and so that kind of her story arc has been in all different of the books along with the other characters too but um i definitely know on the characters who to have them but sometimes who they end up with surprise even me Gotcha. What is your longest running series? Um, it would have to be my first one, um, the Becca Files, and that one is there's eight books. So, eight books. but this one is getting pretty close. So, this series <laughs> might be there. How do you know when a series uh, is finished? Well, normally. I, I kind of have an idea with the characters and everything, but in my first series, I had always planned on one more book. But by then I had already started self-publishing and moving on onto my own. And I still get emails from people asking if I was going to write a book for this character. Um, she was never supposed to have a book, but I decided, <clears throat> excuse me, in the last one to kind of enhance her character and maybe write a book. And I regret, that's the one time I regret not writing a book, but it's been too long to go back now. Um, but um, normally I just kind of just wrap it up. All I, I just, I feel when it's done, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. From a, from a publishing business perspective, and this is, this is not about the, the storytelling aspect of it, but from the, if you put your publisher hat on for a minute, um, is it easier to 
and, and by easier, I mean, uh, is it uh, more profitable? Is it easier to market? You know, whatever easier means to you. Um, is it easier to publish one more book in an existing series or is it easier to start a new series? Uh, and easier is maybe not the right word. Is it uh, is it more profitable? Is it um, is it easier to market a separate series than it is a book five of an existing series? Like what what kind of considerations do you take into account when launching a new series or continuing an existing one? So um, I take account into just if the story's still there, if the story still excites me as the reader um, and the writer. Um, in the case of um, the Beckett Files and not writing that one series, it would just be too long to go back now. I think I would get people to read it, but keep writing in my current series is definitely more profitable. Um, and also releasing books every two months it's a lot easier to market and it's a lot easier for profit because there's always a dip in my reads. You know, I release one and it goes spikes up and then it goes down in the off one. But with releasing books every two months, there's always that spike. So it's great to, to keep writing and I'll keep writing a series as long as people keep being interested. Yeah. Um, 2023 is an amazing time to be uh, a publisher, a writer. Uh, there, there are so many avenues for uh, discovery and so many ways that people can read your book. They can, you know, buy the paperbacks and, and you know, carry it around. They can, um, you know, they can have a Kindle like I do and have, you know, four million books on there. And that's only partly an exaggeration on my Kindle. Um, you know, a lot of people are reading on the Kindle app on their yeah. phone. Yeah. Um, it's not my favorite, but I know a lot of people that love doing that. I do it um, on vacation. Yeah. Uh, what ways are are working for you now to uh, communicate with readers, to let people know that you have a new book coming out? Granted, you've, you know, with almost 50 you know, individual books published so far, you have a loyal readership that are following along and, and ready for the next book. But what are you, what, I, what things are available to you now that lets you find new readers? And because, you know, you constantly have to be adding new blood to your readership and so what, what things are available to you now? Um, so obviously there's social media, which I'm kind of terrible at. I have a PA that posts stuff for me on social media. Um, also collaborations with other authors are fantastic. Um, unfortunately with this year, because of my timetable of how fast I'm releasing books, I haven't been able to do a collaboration with the other authors, but I'm hoping next year that I do that because you find new readership through their readers. Um, but I also, anytime I, when I go to some of these sites and people look for new books, um, I send them free books. I send them eBooks nice. and I'm, or if someone reaches out to me, like I just had someone who reached out to me and said, my 13 year old daughter is interested in your books. Are they clean? And I said, they are very clean. Um, and then I sent her a signed copy of a book because she's 13. Like nice. you got to encourage readers. Absolutely. So, um, so anytime someone reaches out with a question, I'm always quick to respond. And, um, I think also releasing books every two months, Amazon pushes my books too, because I also have ads 
um, on Amazon. Um, so they push my books because I am releasing them so much and I have such good positive reviews. So you're on a two month release schedule. Yes. Is that religiously every two months? Yes. For at least for this series, for last series and for this series. And it's okay. been fantastic. So everyone's like, how do you write? I said, how can you not write? Like these stories are in my head and I just sit down. So it's a full-time job for me now. Um, yeah. It was a, at first it was like a hobby um, that my husband financed. So very sweet husband. Um, and now it's turned into a career. So it's fantastic. Nice. So, um, you know, one, one argument that you hear from the planner side of the writer camp is that pantsers, uh, you just, you never know when you're going to be done because you're just writing, you know, to the whims or, or whatever, um, just to play devil's advocate. How do you stay on such an ambitious publishing schedule uh, while also being a pantser? Um, well, I know that each one of my, so my, I always try to keep my books consistent word wise, word count wise. So I always know, okay, my first book of the series was about 83,000 words. So each book after that needs to be around 80,000 words. Yeah. Um, so I, I go into it knowing how many, I also go into it where I have a tend to have a little longer chapters. So I know exactly how long the chapters need to be in order to get that word count. So I am, I am a pantser when it comes to the characters, but I do um, definitely scrutinize in other aspects, like for the, the business side. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, the uh, one thing that I love to ask writers is the moment of creation. Uh, and, and I know that you've said, you know, there are characters roaming around in your head all the time and who's, you know, are begging to tell their stories. But uh, what is the moment of creation like for a new series? Um, you know, one minute it doesn't exist. And then a character walks onto the stage of your mind or whatever. And you're like, well, who are you? And, you know, what are you doing? Um, I, how does that start unfolding for you? So I, as I mentioned before, I love naps. I lay down every day because I wake up at five o'clock to write before my kids are up. And I, so I take a nap and when I lay down, I think of story ideas before I fall asleep. And just sometimes I think of what if, what if this would happen? And then that kind of just sparks into what else could happen. And then I start getting all these glimpses of these scenes that I need to write, but I go, no, no, I do not write out of order. I write um, every chapter by chapter. So I know some authors, they write out of order and bring their stories together, but I like to just write down my initial idea and move on. Gotcha. Um, Laura, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you're up to, where's the best place for them to go find you and and picture your latest series that you said book four, I believe it is, yes. is coming out in a few weeks. So I'm a little old when I tell you this, but Facebook, I'm a little more active on Facebook. And I know that TikTok, I had some TikTok videos, which, you know, I'm trying different avenues. Um, Instagram, also I'm at. So um, I'm both there. But if you send me a message on Facebook, I'll respond. And you also have a website, uh, yes. right? Yes, I do. And, and what is that website address? It's authorlarabeers.com. 
Great. We'll link up all those places to make it easier for folks to find you. And what, what's your, your new series? What's it called? The Lords and Ladies of Mayfair. And Mayfair is a big place oh. in London. What What's your elevator pitch for this series? It is a fun story. There's a lot of secrets. Um, a, a lot of secrets in there, which is fantastic. <laughs> there are spies in there. Um, bad guys that you can't really figure out what's going on. It's, it's supposed to be a lot of intrigue. We love secrets and intrigue. So yes. that's going to be a lot of fun. We'll link that up in the show notes of this episode as well. Laura, this has been so much fun chatting. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Thank you for letting me come on. I appreciate it. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk to authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool should not be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial today. Thanks for listening.